Hello, welcome to Conversations in Calvinism. I'm Dan Chapa, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Turton Fan. How's it going, Turton Fan? Going great. Great to be on here with you again. Likewise. Yes, yes. Okay, so today's episode is going to be on the um, rebellion in the wilderness, and specifically when God promised that uh, the people wouldn't enter his rest and they had the 40 years of wandering in the desert. And how that is used in the book of Hebrews, especially in relation to the Hebrews warning passages. I have the debate coming up on the Hebrews warning passages um, with Charles Jennings at the uh, end of February. So looking forward to that. Um, I know this is going to be a, a, a quick episode, so I guess let's uh, let's do it to it. Um, if you're OK with that, let's uh, let's bring in the text and take a look. Sure thing. I noticed that he's been doing some debate prep. Uh, episodes so be be aware or be advised ah, that they're out there so i know he he's good about that so no that's a that's a good thing i'll have to i'll definitely have to check it out um okay um let, let's just start with uh hebrews 3 6 so i'll read this and i'm going to read through the beginning of chapter 4 and then we can then we go back into the old testament context as well um so, but starting at, at six. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold the confidence in the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while as called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the, uh, the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Okay, so I'm going to stop and we'll uh, uh, I chat about this first part. So obviously there's a, a Hebrews warning here that the author of Hebrews is addressing to his immediate audience. He's applying it to himself as well. He's calling the audience um, holy brethren and partakers of the heaven they call in. So he's definitely addressing this to the church and um, and he's warning them about an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. The quotation, the block quotation is from Psalms 95. We can look at that, but what's interesting is it's kind of like this um, uh, rushing messing dolls, I guess what you could say. But anyways, the author of Hebrews is applying this warning, which was after the events of um, in Kadesh Barnea and the uh, rebellion in the wilderness and the rebellion in the wilderness is back to numbers 14 so i think we'll definitely have to take a look uh back there because that's the original source that's being commented on but again the original rebellion was numbers 14 then later in the psalms the psalm is basically saying don't be like them and now in hebrews the author of hebrews is also applying it and saying also don't be like them so it's being applied to two different audiences at two different times um, so I guess, uh, you know, uh, do you have uh, some initial thoughts here uh, before we 
go on and, and then start to look at the details of um, how uh, the Kadesh Barnea incident applies to um, the author of Hebrews' message and how he's uh, warning the he- his, his audience. My, my only initial thought was I just noticed an interesting difference between the quotation as it appears in Hebrews in the authorized version also in your, which, uh, which translation is this one? This is the new King James. New King James. Yeah. But the King James has very similar, uh, has a very similar translation at verse nine, but it says in saw my works 40 years, whereas in Psalm 95, it says, and saw my work 40 years was I grieved with this generation. So the 40 works is attached differently in Psalm 95 versus in Hebrews three. Now, you know, I'm not sure the reason for the difference between the two readings, but I just thought it's kind of interesting, uh, just as a textual note. Uh, I also agree with you that it is interesting that there's this nesting of quotations. So as you said, you jump to Psalm 95, but then that points us also in, 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 uh, internally points us back even farther. So Right, right. Um, just uh, real quick, so... Uh, thank you for the comment, uh, GA Atlas, and yep, that's exactly right. Um, so um, the event, the, the event is we're being told not to copy it, and uh, it, that that uh, that warning is given twice. Okay, um, let's let's go on with the Hebrews, and let's finish up chapter three, and probably get into chapter four too. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he, God, angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So that we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. I'm just going to go ahead and go on a four. Uh, because I think it all ties together. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us uh, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed, the gospel is preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed, do enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter in, uh, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter in because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who entered his rest as himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Um, let's see. Um, I think this, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, stop at verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And then um, 
then there's the, the famous quotation, for the word, word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-headed sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay, um, so there's quite a lot going on. There's these interesting references to uh, going into rest um, and... Um, basically not entering into the promised land. So I think every, uh, think everyone knows the general story of, um, well, they, uh, the, the Hebrews had sent spies into the promised land and, you know, 10 were bad, two were good. You know, 10 of them said, oh, there's, there's giants in the land and it's going to, you know, it's too hard. We can't do it. And then two of them said, God is with us so we can win. And um, they, agreed with the 10 and said, oh, we're, we're not going in. And then um, God punished them. And then, um, and, and then ultimately, then they, they tried to go in on their own without God's blessing. They got uh, beaten badly. And then they wandered the desert for 40 years. And then eventually um, that wilderness generation died off, except for the two spies and um and then they're basically the only their children got to enter the promised land, not the original generation. Um, hopefully that was a fair summary. We can look, but we'll we'll definitely look at the actual numbers fourteen here in a minute. But uh, okay, so for starters, um, thoughts on the end of Hebrews three and four. Um, and in general, did you did anything really stand out to you as as far as how that works and uh, how it relates to the, the warning passages? As it relates to the warning passages, I mean, I, I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but I noticed it does say that <laughs> at verse 30, 319 says, so we see, because when you, you know, when you see this sig signal like so, you it's the author of Hebrews wrapping up the idea that kind of went before, and he and he says, so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. And then the, the very next verse says, let's therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So this kind of ties into our discussion with Dr. Flowers yesterday or whenever it was, but the, this, the faith is something that's mixed, that, that was not present. And that's, you know, that does make, there's a sense in which there's, there's a falling away that happens with these people of Israel, but it's not that they're falling away from a previous faith, but they're really coming short of entering into the promise that was given to them in this outward manner as a group. They didn't enter into it. And the reason why, the, reason, the stated reason is faith. They didn't have it. Yes, it, that's true. So, okay. So I guess uh, the argument that some free grace folks will make is, well, are we saying that every single Israelite 
that died in the wilderness was lost an entire generation they you know they were all they all went to hell or they'll say specifically what about moses right moses didn't enter the rest but you know you don't think that moses was lost that sort of thing so now they, they can cash this out in one of two ways they could say well the unbelief is something like very specific and that may be actually so you know like there's a difference between trusting Christ for your salvation and, you know, trusting Christ with your finances for the next week, right? They, those are two different things, I think. It's not that they're not related, but um, right. anyways. On top of what you're saying, and in agreement with what you're saying, there's the faith of miracles in the New Testament. If you, you know, this person's, your faith has healed you, this, this kind of comment. And of course, it's not really referring to the the faith associated with the gospel. It's referring to the faith in the miracle working power of God in those contexts. So now I'm, I would be happy if someone would say, well, this is not talking about the faith. Uh, you know, Moses was denied entrance into the promised land. And arguably, it's because he had a moment of weakness where he struck the rock instead of just speaking to the rock. Now, whether that's because of a disobedience, therefore he wasn't allowed in, or whether you could say that that disobedience sprang from some doubt or something like that, it's kind of beside the point because the, the purpose in illustrating this is not to say that we're faced with the same circumstance, but to use this as an analogy, to use this as an example and use this as an illustration of a, a more fundamental principle. So even if it's just that they didn't enter into the promised land, the issue is not that we need, we're going to try to cross the literal Jordan and enter into Canaan. Instead, this is being reinterpreted for us about entering into not Canaan, but heaven. So the fact that the circumstances are a little bit different and the fact that whether or not the entire generation was lost or not is not really the point. The point isn't that they were actually lost and actually went to hell. The point is they didn't go to Canaan. Uh, but for us, we're, we have a, we're not saying we're not going to be able, we're going to be stuck on the other side of Jordan. The, the issue would be we don't we wouldn't enter into heaven. That would be a, the more uh, that would be for us. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, okay, so you touched on and Moses is different because he did believe the promise and he wasn't like the uh generation that committed the apostasy in fact they were they were trying to kill him we'll look at that in a second but um but let's look at moses real quick because this is numbers 20. um okay there was no water for the congregation so they gathered together against moses and aaron and the people contended with moses and spoken saying if only we had died with our brethren uh, when our brethren died before the lord why have you brought the assembly of the lord into this wilderness okay just to, for setting the context this is after wandering the desert or mostly after wandering the desert right before they get into the promised land okay anyways um why have you brought up the assembly of the lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here and why have you made us come up out of egypt to bring us to this evil place it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates nor is there any water to drink so moses and aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water from them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and the animals. So in the previous um, episode, <laughs> Moses had to strike the rock. This time, God is telling him, speak to the rock. Don't. He didn't say strike it. He said, speak to it. So Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded. And the Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I shall give them. Okay, so I think people key on this phrase because you did not believe me now i think in this case um um the unbelief of moses is not a system-wide like moses didn't become an atheist and you know um he wasn't trusting god in a very specific issue of following god's exact instructions instructions exactly as, as god had said he was relying on the past and probably angry frustrated and um and did this but i don't know i i just don't so you know i guess what what do you make of this statement of the unbelief of moses i wouldn't i wouldn't put it as a general unbelief just as a specific doubt about uh, uh there's a difference between not having any faith at all in god and having moment momentary times of doubt or or something like that and in this case if you remember when uh the apostle uh, at that time just the disciple peter uh, asked jesus if he could come to him on the water and jesus said go ahead and peter started walking on the water but then doubt overwhelmed him and he sank. I think it's something like that. I mean, it's not that Peter ceased believing in Jesus, because even when he when he started to sank, what was his cry? He was crying was for to God for help. So it's just a not, not a complete lack of belief, but just a moment, a, a kind a, a less a, a smaller measure of belief. But it's a, a you know it's a, a doubt about something specific as opposed to a complete uh disbelief and a lack of trust in god right right exactly um so real quick uh so um hi uh, big Gita. um and yes fire away uh i, I mean we'll, we'll take a crack we probably can go for another about 20 minutes or so this is going to be a quicker episode but uh um take a shot okay so, okay, now let's go back to the actual incident, the core, the, the nougat. And we have short time, so got to get to it. And if we have to come back and revisit it, that's fine too. But, like, um, okay. 
Numbers 14. So all the congregation, this is after the spies, okay? So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt so they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then um, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly and congregation of the children of Israel. So, okay, so this is why I was saying before, right? Moses is different. The, the, it's sim there, maybe there's similarities to what happened in, uh, in chapter tw uh, 20. And Moses didn't enter into the promised land. That's absolutely true. But Moses is not in this Kadesh Barnea um, rebellion like the others but okay let's keep going um but joshua the son of nun and caleb the son of jeff honey um jeff jeff honey were uh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of israel saying the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land if the lord delights in us then he will bring us into the land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of this land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Um, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle to meet before all the children of Israel. Um, so uh, the... And then the, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? Okay, so there's the unbelief. How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed them? Um, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a greater and mightier nation than they. Uh, a nation great, greater and mightier than they. So God is warning them that he's about to hit the reset button. Um, now, God knows that he's that's not what's going to happen, but um, but God is warning them that. Um, anyways, and Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it, uh, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among the people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above you, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord has not been able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray that the power of the Lord be great, just as, um, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but he has no, by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the children, the uh, fathers, <clears throat> visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. So um, Moses intercedes, and it asks for a pardon. Okay. Um, 
real quick, I, I just, this is tangential and I know we're short on time, but um, people say, well, God would never warn people about things that are impossible, right? <laughs> but God is warning he's going to destroy the entire nation of Israel and start over. Now, he has already promised that Jesus is going to come, the Messiah is going to come from the line of Judah. So God knows this isn't going to happen. There's some sense in which it's the this warning will never take place. But it's a means used to put fear in them. And it leads to Moses' intercession. And then uh, and then we have verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. So according to your word. So the warning, even though God knows it'll never happen, is a means that God uses to accomplish his plan. Uh, anyways, it's kind of an aside, but it, it is kind of fitting in my opinion. Anyways, um, we can keep going, but comments so far on what we've heard. So, so a couple of quick things. One is notice, interestingly, that the people who fall in the wilderness, it doesn't mean that they're in hell because it says the Lord has pardoned them. You have forgiven the people, even until now. He says, I have pardoned according to your word. He asked for them to be forgiven and they were forgiven. So to say that just because, you know, the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is using the historical example in a new way as a as an uh, analogy you know it's he's not saying that what exactly happened to the people of israel that their sins were forgiven but they just didn't enter into canaan that that's the thing that we need to be concerned about the thing we need to be concerned about is not entering into heaven so Can canaan becomes a picture of heaven and dying in the wilderness becomes a picture of not entering into heaven it's not that the exact same thing happened, but the connection is made by the author of Hebrews between not entering in and not having faith. So it's not that we shouldn't take this as suggesting that these people had no faith at all either, We, because otherwise, on what basis would God pardon their sins if they had no faith at all? That's That isn't the point of the author of Hebrews. It's not talking about that. And I noticed we had a related question, which was from G. Atlas. He says, where does Hebrews mention Moses as unbelieving in this context? It doesn't. Uh, I, we just, I just brought it up because of the fact that Moses himself didn't enter in, and yet, interestingly, was called unbelieving. But it's not, it's not part of the metaphor. As you can see from Numbers, Moses is the exception to that threat. It's Moses and Aaron, I think, or I don't remember if Aaron is there, but Moses and Caleb and Joshua and Aaron. Yeah, verse 5, Aaron is still part of that. I don't know if Miriam had already passed away at that point or not. Uh, but anyway, they, they're, not, uh, they're not part of that group. This isn't referring to them. But anyway, the, from the, the use of it in the, in the metaphor or the analogy that's being used in, in Hebrews 3, this isn't part, this forgiveness isn't part of that. So... The point is just they didn't enter in. And the reason why, according to the author of Hebrews, unbelief. And we, we can almost take it like that. You don't always, I mean, you don't have to try to load in the original, all the details of the original story, because that isn't the point of the use of the story. <coughs> yes. I thought Designer had a um, 
quite on, on point because he, he's right. So in the Hebrews 1, it says it, in chapter 2 and chapter 10 and chapter 12, there's a comparative saying exactly how he's applying the Old Testament. And he's saying in a superlative way. So he basically says, well, they committed these sins in the Old Testament, but it's so much worse if you commit them now that we've seen Christ and that he's risen from the dead. Um, so in each in each case, in, in uh, Hebrews 2, uh, 1 through 4, he says it's worse to commit apostasy and then against the new covenant. And then in Hebrews 10, he says it's worse than uh, uh, rejecting the law of Moses and in Hebrews uh, 12, I think it's 24 and 25, he says the same thing. So it, the not only is it, it is an al analogy rather than like a one-for-one one parallel, and it's, it's oh, I'm sorry, it's an analogy rather than an, ex than an example, I suppose is one way to say it. But the, the other way to say it is that the analogy is used as a lesser case, and the current situation in Hebrews is considered far worse than what was done in the Old Testament times because now we have Christ in the gospel um, explicitly and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, God pardoned them. Um, so now, what I think, where that pushes things is to the extreme free grace position, right? Because a more moderate position is, well, you know, they sinned, but it wasn't a total and final apostasy and total rejection of the gospel and uh, unbelief in Jesus Christ and that sort of thing. So that's a, like a more moderate position and really is, doesn't support the free grace position. Now, the, the whole ham free grace position is going to say, oh, yeah, they, they stopped believing and they're still saved, right? That's the... <laughs> um, but I don't think that's what's going on. And so we can, we can read on and, and, and see. Um, but yeah, so it's unfortunately what happens at this point is some free grace folks will just double and triple down. Um, but okay, let's, uh, well, it's up to you, but yeah, we have about 15 more minutes. So let's, uh, let's finish up the chapter here. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, who shall put any of those who rejected me, uh, rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a has a different spirit in him and has followed me faithfully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long will I bear with this evil congregation who complained against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel made against me, saying to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephani, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But 
your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcass shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity um, until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of days in which you supplied up the land, forty days. For each day you shall bear your guilt for one year, namely forty years, and ye shall know my rejection. Um, the Lord has spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who gather to get together against me in this wilderness, and they shall be consumed, and they uh, there they shall die. And now the men whom Moses sent to spy in the land, who returned and made all the congregations complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land, died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh Jif remained alive of the men who went to spy. Um, well, I'll just finish the chapter. So there's, and then there's this feudal invasion. So Moses told these words to all the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are and we will go up to the place where the Lord has promised for we have sinned. Uh, okay. So this is mixed, right? So they, it's good that they are admitting they sinned. It's not good that after God told them, don't go, that they're going to do it. And Moses said, now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and they shall, uh, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go on the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the land came down and attacked them and drove them far back as far back as Horma. Okay, so obviously they um, take a. So this is the uh, this is the main text of um, that's that's quoted of God swearing that they will not enter the promised land because of their their rebellion, and then there's a plague and this. The spies that uh, had said, "Hey, we can't win," um, died in the plague, as well as other people. And then, then they, um, after God has sworn they're not going to make it, they do at least admit they sinned. But then they want the promised land, and Moses says, "Don't do it. You're going to die." And they they take a shot. They attack, and the attack ends terribly, and a bunch of them die in the attack. And next is what's going to happen is they're just going to end up uh, wandering in the desert. Okay. Um, thoughts on this section and how it applies to the warning passages. Would it be okay with you if I add one additional section to it? Please do. Uh, let's see. Do you want me to pull up a passage? I can do that. Uh, I should be able to do it here. I hope it's big okay. enough. It says, uh, this is from Deuteronomy 9, and it says, At Taborah and Mesa and Kibroth Hatavah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, uh, Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God 
and you believed him not. This it's not explicitly mentioned in the one we just read, but in this in this repetition it is mentioned. You didn't believe him, nor hearken to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said He would destroy you. I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thy inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember thy servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Lest the land which thou uh, broughtest us out say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are thy people and thine inheritance, which thou broughtest out with thy, by thy mighty power and by thy stretched out arm. So I thought the, the, the only thing, I mean, this is mostly just a summarization of what's being said in the other place, but the detail that wasn't, that's referred to in Hebrews, but not explicit in numbers is this one about uh, you didn't believe him. It's in, implicit in that passage, but here it's made explicit. So I just, I just thought it might be useful to see that detail. Uh, right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah, and the second, it, it, well, so just to clarify, it wasn't in that section that I just read. There's no mention of unbelief. Now, the, the unbelief is also mentioned earlier in Numbers 14 as well. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Uh, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? That's, that's Numbers 14, 11. But it, the idea is the same. You know, the, there's this element of unbelief, but it's um, it's not that they're, well, and, and it's a big company, so there's probably a mix, but it doesn't mean that every single individual did not believe in God or and or trust his uh, promises of the Messiah or that sort of thing at all. It's rather um, because, and we can see that for two reasons. One, God forgave them, right? So I have pardoned them according to your word. And then two, um, when they, and this is very half-hearted, I guess, but they did, they did say, um, we have sinned. They did say, we will go to the place where the Lord promised. Um, there was one detail that I wanted to look at that I struggled with it and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, they shall know my rejection. So verse 34, let's look at this in a couple different translations because I think this text is a toughie. Um, numbers 34, numbers 1434. For ye shall know my altering of purpose. You shall know my alienation. Um, the revoking of my promise, my breach of promise. You shall know my breach of promise. Uh, you shall know my revenge. The only other place it's used, the Hebrew word, it's used this place, but the other place it's used is in Job 33 where it says, behold, he finds occasions, that's that same word about breach of promise, whatever this, that corresponding word. Uh, behold, he finds occasions against me, he counts me for his enemy. So I think my sense of this is that you're gonna know what it's like to be my enemy 
that that's the idea. You're, you're going to know what it is to stand up, to try to stand up to God. Uh, or, or vice versa, you're going to know what it's like to be on the receiving end of God uh, being your enemy. Yeah, but I, I, it could go further than that and say, you're going to know, instead of knowing the blessings you would have had, you're going to know what it's like to get the business end, right? Like basically... It's uh, it's that 180. Hey, I was gonna give you the promised land, and now I'm taking that back. But I'm not just taking that back. I'm, you're going to be, um, you're gonna experience judgment or wrath, um, punishment, or at least um, at least a disciplinary punishment. At least yes, at least yes. At, yeah, that's right. That, actually, I think you're. I think that's a good point. I, I, I should be careful. Um, so it could be in it, it could be especially for some and, and again this is i think it's over a million people at this point so it's not necessarily one size you know size fits all but at least in general there's going to be a lot of people that believed they just uh, messed up here and didn't believe this specific thing i guess rather than uh, unbelief in general it's not a total and final loss of faith, I guess is the way to say it. Um, so for them, they're still God's children. They're still his covenant people. And they're going to be dealt with as sons rather than as enemies. Um, and yeah, so anyways. Okay, cool. Um, it, it's, a, it's similarly said in Deuteronomy 1. I don't, there's a, there, this isn't, you know, it's mentioned several times about this. It says in Deuteronomy 1, the passage starts at 34, but at 30, 39, there's a line that says, moreover, your little ones, which you said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And then they responded, oh, no, we're going to go in. And, and God said, don't do it. And then, and, you know, that, it's recounted there again. So this story is uh, not just a one-time story in the Old Testament. It's summarized multiple places. Yeah. I'm sorry. What was the reference? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll the first chapter that. of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Oh, okay. Right. The transfer dating. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I'll have to check, check that out. So. Yes, I mean, it's the same mention about the Amorites coming out of the mountain. They chased you and destroyed you, and you returned and wept. But God wouldn't listen to you at that point. So you obeyed, you or stay, stayed in Kadesh many days. That was verse uh, 46 of chapter 1. So it's the, basically the second half of the chapter of uh, yeah. chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. So. Right. Okay. So, um, and we probably only have about uh, four minutes left here. So I think to start to summarize, how does this apply? So I think the first thing is it's, um, it is an, an analogy and the context in Hebrew, in Hebrews is about salvation, not, not so much about the physical promised land. So I think, I think that is one thing. The second thing is, it is in Hebrews 3 and 4. It is not in Hebrews 6 and 10, right? There's there's not the... Um, some people will try to, to make an argument that Hebrews, especially Hebrews 6, like um, 
will go on to maturity if God permits. Well, God didn't permit them to enter the promised land, so he's not going to permit us to enter into maturity. Um, that is very strained, I think, um, because it's not in the immediate context there. I'm not saying it's nowhere in the background. It is, but um, it's nowhere there. So then the, um, the third thing is that the unbelief that's referenced in Numbers 20 is not total and final, um, but in the Hebrews passage, it sure sounds that way. Now, I mean, I think that's going to be up for debate, but it sure sounds that way. And then um, last, is, and, but probably most important, is the specific application of these Old Testament passages in he Hebrews. There's a uh, superlative. Christ is better than everything in the Old Testament. Um, therefore, apostasy from Christ is far worse. You see that in Hebrews 2, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12. And so I guess for those reasons, I'm not convinced that we can take these uh, Hebrews warnings and tamp them down based on the analogy to Kadesh Barnea. Um, but, you know, I suppose that's why that's why there are debates, you know, and we can have that discussion, happy to have that discussion. But I see I see just um, pretty strong motivation to, um, well, whatever, uh, I give people the best of intentions. But um, I I just don't find those arguments convincing at all. So I'll, I'll leave it at that in terms of sum, summing things up. Um, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So any uh, any final uh, closing thoughts here? No. Nope. I, I, tell, I tell you what, if you have to um, bounce, I can hang out and uh, address some of the comments. Um, and, but if you yeah, if you have to wrap up, that's I, I completely understand. Uh, well, I have like at least two or three minutes, but that's about it. Uh, if you if you want to go through comments or you want to keep it rolling after I get off, that's fine. I'm happy to just jump, but. Uh, either way, it's fine. So if you want to answer questions, let's go for it. If you, well, uh, if you want to keep it rolling, one. like here's, here's a tough one. <laughs> I don't buy the fake warning logic one bit. Okay. So that, while you're here, why don't you address the fake warnings? Uh, well, I think what discerner means is if God never actually acts on the warning by destroying people, then the warning is somehow not real. I don't. I don't buy that analysis. Partly because of reasons like the reason you just described, where God says He's going. He doesn't even say if this, then that. He just says, "I am going to destroy these people." He kind of he puts it very bluntly like that to Moses, and then Moses is like, "Well, hold on a minute, God," and tries to uh, intercede on behalf of the people for the people. And it's not the only time that Moses finds himself in that position. There's like one point, if you remember, he he offers to substitute for them. to they He'll be destroyed and let the people go. And God doesn't accept his proposal in that case. But the fact is that just because God didn't destroy the people of Israel the way he described and make a new, new nation from Moses, it doesn't mean that God couldn't have done that if God wanted to. It doesn't mean that like God is capable of killing human beings. That's not, that shouldn't be even a question. 
that where there's some sense in which he couldn't do it in the sense that he already promised that the uh, various things to Judah in the blessing of Judah and he promised things to Ephraim and Manasseh in the blessing of Joseph and and there's other promises as well that are there that wouldn't have been fulfilled if uh, if Jesus hadn't been born according to the way that God had planned all along. But that doesn't make the warning fake. It, this is not just like a, a trick that God is tricking Moses with this. This is a real threat. And if it were not for God's forgiveness of these people, that would easily have been their fate. It's not that God couldn't do this absolutely. He just he chose not to do so. That was his ability. And I don't think that's uh, it says he. This says here, fake warnings are not honest communication. But again, I mean, it's hard to understand how you apply that to the warnings or threats given to Moses. Yeah. So. Okay. So, to, to start, totally different context. But you know, are there's so many examples in the Bible we can go to, like test. God tested Abraham. Was that fake? Even though he knew Abraham was going to pass the test, or. Um, the law says, do this and live. No one's going to do it and live, right? We're not justified by the law. But the law says, do this and live. Is that fake? Right? No. I mean, so anyways, I, I could go on and on. Um, we're, okay. Oh, well. It's a, I, I, I hear you, um, but I don't think this is either a unique challenge. I think our focus should be on the exegesis of the text. And then we will have the tough issue on our hand of how to reconcile the philosophical notions. And I'd rather deal with tough philosophy questions and simple exegesis rather than simple philosophy questions and tough exegesis. Um, that's me. But... Okay. When, when uh, push comes to shove, let's stick with scripture, even if it makes the philosoph the philosophical argument more challenging. Yes. Absolutely. I, I will bounce now, but if you decide to stay and answer more questions, God be with you in that. And uh, and thanks to everyone who's participated today. I I see that one of our usual commenters is not here, but I hope he'll be back with us eventually. So, God okay. be with you. Thank you. God be with you. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, so I'll just touch on a few. Um, so G Atlas, uh, yes, warnings are means. God also told them that they would be exiled and restored. Exactly. Right. Deuteronomy 3. Thank you, Atlas. Um, entering and ultimately restoration from exile in New Jerusalem of all that are shaken and removed. Yeah. Um, so the, I think one question is, well, what exactly is the... Um, what does the promised land represent in the book of Hebrews? Does it represent salvation? Does it represent heaven? Um, obviously, there's a strong connection between those two things, but they're not the same, right? Like, you know, um, people are saved here and now. I'm, I'm saved, but I'm not in heaven just yet, um, at least not physically. Uh, I think there's some sense in which we're spiritually seated in heavenly places, but whatever. Anyway, so there's that, that question. Now, the argument that some folks make is that it's spiritual maturity rather than either heaven or salvation. But I think I think that is mistaken based on what we saw in the passages. But even if, 
that's accurate. It still doesn't support the free race position, at least not the extreme position that a believer can stop believing and totally and finally uh, fi fall away. Um, okay. Um, okay. Therefore, the Lord said, uh, I said indeed that your house and your father's house would walk before me forever. Um, and then he, but then he's um, changed. But now the Lord says, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Yeah. So that is a, um, an example of divine repentance. Okay. So let's talk about this. Um, I do think uh, the way to look at that is that yesterday and today up until a certain time that God was giving this promise to the house. But from this point forward and tomorrow and the next day, he has not taken it for, from them. Now, is that a divine repentance in the sense that the open theists take it? Okay, so for starters, yes, it is a divine repentance. Is it a divine repentance in the sense that open theists take it like that shows that God didn't know what happened. I don't know why God couldn't see the whole timeline and say, okay, from this time to this time, I'm going to, you know, um, provide this blessing to them. And then I'm going to stop providing that blessing. And from that point forward, I'm not going to bless them. And the reason why is because of what they did. I don't see why that's an issue if God just knows all of that ahead of time. So I don't see why that type of divine repentance um, so is supportive of the open theist claim. Um, it's just, um, but it does show God's, you know, kind of inner interactions with us promises that have conditions. Absolutely. Fake warnings are not on its communication. Um, it is operating in the assumption God, God promised X, therefore nothing else can happen. Well, what if God promised X and nothing else will happen? I think that's a, a probably a better way to say it, um, than can happen. So, um, there is a sense in which you're go not going to warn something about uh, something that's causally impossible. I agree with that. And it's not in that sense that God's knowledge of the future. So what, what God knows is going to happen tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow. And you can't conclude anything else other than it will happen tomorrow. You can't conclude that it can't happen tomorrow. Just you, you can't conclude that something else will happen. So if God knows I'm going to wear a red shirt tomorrow, I will wear a red shirt tomorrow. It's an, it's too far to say I can't wear a blue shirt tomorrow. That's wrong. But it is also wrong to say God knows I will wear a red shirt tomorrow, but I can conclude that I'll wear a blue shirt tomorrow. No, the logic the logical connection is that I will wear the red shirt, but not that I can't wear the blue shirt. So it's in that sense. But if you take the um, necessity or that sort of thing in terms of cause a causal impossibility, then I agree with you, discerner, that you can't have a, a like a you can't warn something somebody against a causal impossibility. Um, and, that probably wasn't super clear, um, but but it, but it goes along with how we reconcile God's foreknowledge of future events. I think, but like I said, there's there's some complicated 
philosophical questions, I'd rather deal with those any day than complicated exegetical questions. Um, those are still real hypotheticals. I agree. Um, in Jonah, God warns as a means of repentance from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, what's up, Charles? Good to, uh, thanks for, thanks for joining. Looking forward to this and the upcoming debates. I'm preparing for my debate tonight. Ah, yes. God be with you in your debate tonight, uh, Charles. And on that topic, I believe you're debating um, whether salvation was um, basically through works in the Old Testament times. And um, man, I hope you, um, you know, God be with you. And I, I, I completely am on your side on that point. So... Okay, um, more. Um, okay, God's promises are not just forecasting the future. He promises all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He does not mean everyone who doesn't call has no promise. Um, God's promise, I agree with you that God's promises are not just forecasting the future. Now, sometimes they include forecasts of the future also. Um, so, well, anyways, I could give examples like, uh, like, well, okay, let's take his promise to Abraham. What's interesting is he promises Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation and all this other stuff. And then we're told that uh, I, I shouldn't give it short shrift like that. So he promises that uh, his, his descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven, that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed of him, that he'll bless those that bless him and curse those that curse him. So God gives Abraham some wonderful promises. Then we're told Abraham believes God and is justified. Oh, well, that, that's interesting. So now we're getting into some, frankly, some complicated stuff. Did God know <laughs> that Abraham would believe the promise? And would he have given the promise in the first place if he if he the new Abraham would not believe the promise. It seems un very unlikely to me that he would have given Abraham that promise if he knew Abraham was going to reject God anyways. So it gets complicated. And it, so it becomes kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like um, God promises Deborah, hey, you're going to win the battle. Okay, so Deborah tells the people, and the people get excited hearing we're going to win. They get fired up and they go win the battle. Right. It's like it's like one of those things um, where it's it's kind of the self-fulfilling type prophecy. So it's um, oh, well, I could I could go on and on and on. Um, uh, salvation rests now and in the future. Yes. Right. Yes. That, OK, that's right. So what is that promised land? In part, I think it is salvation here and now, but in part, I think it is heaven. I don't have a humongous objection to those that are saying that in part it's spiritual maturity. Um, but I think if you limit it to only spiritual maturity, I think you run into some exegetical issues, but uh, okay. Ha. All right, discerner, I appreciate you. Um, good comments, good. Thanks for challenging me. You know, thanks for making me think. Okay, oh, thanks for the clarification. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, so um, Charles is debating Lordship Salvation. I misunderstood the topic, but that's my fault. I apologize. But uh, either way, I look forward to hearing, hearing your thoughts and God be with you in your debate.
Okay, I'm going to end it at that. Uh, thanks for all that were listening, and uh, God be with you.